Last week, we started a conversation with State Workforce Cabinet Chairman Danny Lopez, who shared the governor's vision and steps his team is now taking to make Indiana globally competitive. If you missed last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back to part one because today's conversation picks up where we left off. On this episode, we're covering what other cities are doing to drive success, what the entrepreneurship landscape looks like here in Indiana, how higher education needs to change to support the growing economy, and what goals constitute a successful year for the workforce cabinet. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions because we know that an organization is only as good as its leadership. For those of you joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you to the Kelly family. Our weekly podcast offers actionable tips you can apply to your leadership or organization instantly. For those of you who have shared our content, we want to say a huge thanks because you've helped our show grow in such a big way. If you enjoy our content, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review on your favorite podcasting app. That helps to make our show more visible. And if you're looking to get a hold of us with any questions, you have some comments, or you just want to recommend a guest for our show, shoot us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. And now, here is the final piece of this two-part series with Associate Dean Phil Powell and the State Workforce Cabinet Chairman, Danny Lopez. Danny, thanks again for joining us in this two-part series. Picking up where we left off from last week, I'm curious, as you've gotten into the job, as you've looked around the country, are there two or three regions that inspire you from outside of Indiana? Yeah, I think there are states that are doing it well. I think, uh, you know, Tennessee is held up as, as a model uh, of, of late Governor Haslam and his predecessor both made some significant investments in workforce. More importantly, they um, it, it was governor-led. It was, uh, it was his voice. Um, you know, he had a national profile, and, uh, and so he kind of placed an emphasis. It, it, was a, it was a call to action. There was urgency behind it. Uh, and in, in, in a similar way to what we're doing now, it was, a, it was kind of a moonshot moment. It's how do we get the state galvanized around this issue because this is what's going to make or break the future of Tennessee. They've done a, a really nice job with their Tennessee promise and their drive to, to that 55% attainment uh, goal. You know, people hold up Colorado as, a, as an example. I think Colorado's got challenges when it comes to K-12 or post-secondary funding, but they have done a nice job in creating mechanisms for apprenticeships and work-based learning that's extra governmental, it's outside of government, so it's flexible, it works at the speed of business, it's business-led and funded. Um, So they've done a really nice job of getting in and working with schools. Um, So you hit the nail on the head. There's elements, uh, structural elements, that we've looked at as we've thought about, well, what, what should Indiana uh, look like, uh, you know, so a little bit here, if you look at, you know, a state like Virginia and what they do with adult basic education or, you know, elements of that, but also states are unique and populations are unique. And so Colorado, you know, where you've got 60% of the population that lives in Denver, for example, that presents a really unique set of challenges. And it also gives them an opportunity to do some things differently than we would do in Indiana. Um, I actually think it's, it's 
that question, if you applied it, if you if you asked it of governors all around the country, I think they're pointing to Indiana. I think when you when you look at graduation pathways and what we put in place here in in the K twelve system, particularly specifically in the nine twelve space, and now not only uh, not only requiring academic progress towards a diploma, but but requiring that kids show demonstrate employability skills and post secondary readiness as a as a prerequisite for graduation, that's not happening in other states. Um, you know, we've we've made uh, uh, high value certificate programs free at Ivy Tech and Vincennes. We've, you know, we we did that sort of on the heels of Tennessee, the Tennessee Promise. Our enrollment numbers have surpassed Tennessee's already. So, uh, so I think Indiana, because of fiscal discipline, because of kind of this pragmatism that I think we just have here, both in a nonpartisan way. I mean, both on the right and the left. I think you've got pragmatists that want to solve problems, and we've been able to make progress on a lot of these issues and I think we've become that standard uh, in many ways. Now that doesn't mean there's not gaps. There's obviously educational attainment gaps and other things. But as we referenced uh, before we we were talking earlier, you know, talking earlier, the percentage of, you know, of of STEM gra- bachelor's degrees graduates in Indiana over the last two years has grown 8%. Bachelor's degrees generally 4%. I mean, we we've seen educational attainment and the gro- more importantly probably I would argue more importantly the growth for individuals 25 to 45 uh, has outpaced the national average for two consecutive years. And I think we're making gains with the populations that are going to drive the state forward. Um, anybody will, that knows will tell you those are really hard numbers to move because you're changing culture. What we've discovered is that it's not a matter of resources. It's a matter of talking and realizing it's a win-win-win and reducing the barriers of communication. And right now there's some, there are some lingering policy issues. So, so again, thinking about what the cabinet's role is, we just had a series of recommendations that were submitted to the governor and the legislature just this month um, in October, uh, getting at some of the, you know, greasing some of the, some of the tracks for on uh, career and technical education to make it so much easier for schools to partner directly with businesses uh, and institutions of higher education. We thought, we, you know, we made recommendations around um, certain funding streams that ought to be tied together so that we can start narrowing where people need to go, where businesses need to go to access resources or where, where uh, um, K-12 or institutions of higher education need their, their points of interaction with state government, narrowing those to make it easy to navigate. Uh, career career navigation and career coaching, I mean, and this is a, you know, we're trying to create local mechanisms because locals know best how to do this, but how do we create these partnerships at the local level, fund them, hold them to accountability measures, and let them run without government interference from here? Uh, those are the types of things, there still are these barriers, and those are the types of things that we as a team are working on to ensure that it's as easy as it can be for Kelly to say, we're going to create these new types of partnerships, and by the way, we're going to pull our employer friends to the table as well. At the Kelly School, we talk a lot with entrepreneurs across many of the industries here in Indiana. So what's it like to be an entrepreneur at the highest level of state government? And what do you think it takes to move the needle? I do think we're moving the needle. Uh, I, I think... You know, this is an interesting role. It's a different role than I've really uh, had in, in state or local government or federal government. I've been at local, federal, and state government, uh, and I've been in the private sector as an entrepreneur. And this is a th- this is much more like that than it is like working in government, just because this didn't exist. I mean, we're building this everything from getting the flexibility from the federal government, advocating, lobbying for the flexibility from the federal government to be able to do this in the first place. Um, to uh, you know, to building the team, which we continue to build that. We've got a great team, but we're lean, we're small but mighty. 
um, of, of smart people that are thinking about this every day uh, to doing things differently. I mean, challenging the status quo, that's what's exciting. I mean, we've got great people that work in, in state government in, in all across our agencies, but getting them to understand their roles differently and getting them to think differently about their deliverable, who the client is and, and how we do that, that's a... I mean, it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing to be in the middle of state government, but operating sort of in this in this entrepreneurial way. Uh, if we don't have this kind of a structure and we don't have this kind of approach, it's impossible for us to match the pace again of change. I mean, we're just you you can't move at the speed of government and 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 expect business to catch up. You've got to move at the speed of business, and our agencies get that. Uh, but getting us all rowing in the same direction and shooting at the same targets is. Not always easy. It's a little bit of a challenge. It's fun. We've we've had a great time. It also is, uh, you know, as we see, as, as we've seen in Tennessee, as we've seen in, in Colorado, uh, you are. This is only going to be as as um, as as successful as the governor is willing to back it. And you've seen that. You know, he has put his capital on the table. And he said this is the issue of the decade for the state of Indiana. It's uh, it's as important and near and dear to him as anything, and so it helps when you work for somebody who's enthusiastic about this, who wants to make change, who understands that the status quo isn't enough, who's willing to go out and challenge Hoosiers. I mean, there aren't a lot of governors that are willing to stand up and say, "Look, you know, I understand where where we've been as a state. A high school diploma is just not enough anymore, and you're going to get left behind. So let's fix it." You know, obviously, higher education is an important part of this talent equation, and not everyone is going to get a college degree. In fact, not everyone needs a college degree. However, statistics saying having a college degree greatly increases the likelihood of having a higher paying job. More education, more money, more economic development. So Danny, given where you sit in state government, what are some serious and specific challenges you would put at the feet of higher education? I mean, I think it's understanding where where you all plug in. So there's a couple things. Uh, I think you're right when it comes to post-secondary success, post-secondary completion. Now, we are challenged, and I think institutions of higher education need to challenge themselves to think about what that means a little bit differently than we have in the past. It isn't necessarily a bachelor's degree. It could be a technical certificate. So you're starting to see uh, a lot of universities that are embedding technical certificates in that pathway to a bachelor's degree. And certainly, we want as many people persisting through and graduating and completing as, 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 as want to go through as we can. Um, but we also need to think differently about what success looks like in post-secondary. So when we say high school is not enough, that's absolutely true. But it could be a a, 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 a coding badge, or it could be a software development uh, badge, or it could be a technical certificate in welding, or or it could be a bachelor's degree in something, or it could be a doctorate uh, in, in something, and which would be fantastic as well. Uh, but how we look at these, how we value, and how we um, assign success that 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 uh, that moniker of success to these different credentials is really being challenged now. And higher ed really needs to look itself in the mirror and make some determinations about what it values as well. Um, but we do have a 60% attainment goal. And I think not only do we have this attainment goal where you all logically know how you fit in by getting more people through your programs, how does that break down for African-American students? How does that break down for Hispanic students? How does that break down for underserved students generally, rural versus urban students? And how does the university put structures in place to continue to, to improve those persistence? I mean, we've got we've got uh, still a ton of work to be done in our completion rate. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that across our higher education system, 
probably 20, I think the number is 25% of kids actually graduate on time in four years. Uh, so moving kids to some kind of completion in, in, a, in, a, in an easy way, in a way that makes sense for them, that's cost effective, that keeps debt down, that gets them something of value that's validated by employers is the number one challenge for higher ed. But I think beyond that, and we've had this conversation, the governor has had this conversation with your, you know, your presidents and the university presidents is, what is higher ed's role as almost agents of the state, not, again, not just in providing information, but in keeping talent here, in moving our homegrown companies to the front of the line when it comes to recruiting. We don't, we don't do nearly enough of that, of touting uh, as universities uh, our homegrown companies work as viable options for kids to work. And the companies that have headquartered here or have significant presences here, uh, it's wonderful when kids leave the Silicon Valley. That's a wonderful thing. And we encourage academic success, but we love those kids to stay and work for Jasper Engines or GE or you know, Aviation or Lilly or Cummins as well. And so we've got to be, as universities, thinking about what, what role we play a little bit differently as builders of a state economy and not just a prov as providers of information. Finally, I want to talk about the wins. Danny, from your perspective as Workforce Cabinet Chair, looking into the future a year from now, what are going to be wins for the Indiana state economy? Well, significant jumps in our attainment rates. If we continue to see significant jumps in our attainment rates, then we know that the various mechanisms that feed into that, whether that's uh, early education or eighth grade math or high school graduation or graduation pathways or college completion, are, fe are feeding all those things are feeding that attainment rate. So we know the mechanisms are working. Uh, I think to the degree that we can maintain our labor or keep growing our labor participation, which is already above the national average, has been for 52 consecutive months. So to the degree that we can maintain high labor participation and keep our unemployment down, that's a that's a win. Uh, some of that is going to be validated by employers. We need to know, and we're starting to see positive feedback come in, but we need to know from employers that the talent that we're producing in the state, whether that's through IU or through Ivy Tech or through 1150 Academy or Kenzie Academy, um, is what employers actually want. I can't tell you the number of times that I'm with employers and they say, we won't hire graduates from that program because they say it's what we want. We, it's not what we want. So if we can get a validation mechanism uh, where employers are telling higher education here and K-12, here's what we want to see and we will work with you to get there, to build out the curriculum, build out the standards and the competencies that should be embedded there and let's get them so that you know they're actually funneled into our shops and meaningful careers, lifelong learning. Um, so I think to the degree that that's happening, that's success. And then I think there are things that, there are pieces of this that the public just won't see. The amount of collaboration that we're seeing between agencies. Uh, I've been around, uh, I've been in state government for about eight years. I've been around uh, state government for 10 years since we moved to Indiana in some form or fashion. I've never seen this level of collaboration. I've never seen agency heads really looking to better, not just better utilize their funding, but better utilize their funding um, in, in ways that impact programs that are outside of their direct scope of authority, right? And so that, that collaboration is because finally we're having discussions around the workforce issue that are holistic, that are multi-agency, uh, that are not siloed. And, and to the degree that we can continue to have that, the better use of resources and those outcomes. The governor has set metrics around, um, you know, by 2023, we're going to have a, a JAG program uh, in every school, Jobs for America's Graduates program in every school. It's got incredible success. He's actually a national chairman. Uh, we're going to put it in every school. Uh, we've got a thousand, you know, he's set a goal of a thousand uh, uh, 
inmates with high value certificates in two years. We're already going to surpass that in year one for the number of uh, folks with some college, for the number of folks without a high school diploma, uh, for the number of apprenticeship programs. He has set metrics. So we've got hard measures that we're measuring our success against. But I think so much of the good work, which is what's exciting, so much of the good work is stuff that the public doesn't necessarily see all the time. And that's okay with me. So let's recap. Indiana is working to become a global player on the economic development stage. The governor and his team recognize the potential of the Hoosier State and are making efforts to draw the attention of major companies. The Holcomb administration understands there is a talent shortage, not just here in Indiana, but across the globe. And there are many ways to increase a strong workforce. Though population growth and recruiting outside talent are important, the governor's administration wants to focus on taking the great people we already have here and help them gain the education necessary. Whether that's getting through high school, gaining a trade certificate, or completing higher education, it's all about ease of access and working together. Questions they're trying to answer include, how can K-12 institutions better assimilate students for the modern workforce? How can higher education help prepare students for college earlier? How can companies with a large presence in the community invest into the population to prepare individuals for a successful career path? All of this is an effort to make Indiana an attractive place for companies to call the Hoosier State home. So as the governor's administration moves forward, it's important to remember they cannot accomplish this alone. The key is collaboration from all of us. Every individual is a leader to some degree. And as we say on this show, an organization, or in this case, our homes, our schools, our communities, and our state are only as good as the person in the mirror. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where we work hard to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. Thank you.